Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. This morning, as we start our brand new series called The New You, for the next several weeks, we're going to walk through the book or the letter to uh, the church in, in Ephesus. The book is called Ephesians. And all, like I said, although we call it a book, like the book of Ephesians, it's really a letter. And this scripture, this letter is pretty different than many other books in the Bible. You see, there's not a big argument going on with this letter. Paul's like not after anybody. This letter, as one scholar puts it, is all about identity formation. And so what a better, I mean, what could be a better way than starting a brand new year talking about who we are or this new you in Jesus Christ? And so once we walk through this letter, you'll have a great understanding of your faith. You'll have a great understanding of some big theological truths that this letter unpacks. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and op open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. It'll be back here on the screen. But just as a recommendation, uh, especially when we're going through an entire book, it's really great if you own a Bible to bring it with you. That way you can look at stuff, you can follow along, you can highlight, circle. And if for some reason you don't have a Bible and you need one, just let me know. I will get you one so you can follow along with us. It says this, Ephesians 1, verse 1, we're going to jump right in. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We're going to stop right there this morning. Some of you actually dug your Bible out, you brought it to church, and that's as far as we're getting today. Bring it back. Next week, we'll go much further. But I want to stop right here because this is loaded with assumptions. This one verse Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, not even a whole sentence, is loaded. And we need to define a couple of things before we can go any further in this letter. You see, because before you listen to advice, you first need to know who the author is. And this is assuming that you know who Paul is. Because just because somebody says something or just because somebody writes something doesn't mean you should listen to them, does it? If you didn't know, you shouldn't believe everything somebody writes, especially internet, social media, right? Just because somebody writes it doesn't mean you should listen to it. I mean, when we want to listen to somebody, we got to figure out, you know, why should I listen to them? I mean, what are their credentials? What have they been through? What have they experienced? I mean, why should I take the time to even listen to or read what you've said? You see, when this church, the church in Ephesus, would have saw that this was written by Paul, they would have immediately leaned in to listen. You see, this church knew Paul well. And although this letter circulated among many different churches, Paul spent about three years ministering in Ephesus. Meaning he spent three years with this body he is writing this church to. In fact, as far as we know, it's the longest he spent with any church, which means they knew Paul, but more importantly, they knew Paul's story. And when you and I grasp Paul's story, when we see what he's saying, we can really understand the depth of his work. Because Paul, 
If you didn't know, Paul's going to challenge you. Paul's going to say things that's going to make you feel extremely uncomfortable. But when we understand who he is, when we understand what Christ had done in, has done in his life, when we understand his experience, it'll cause us to kind of put down our guard, take down that, you know, that thing like, who is this guy, and really receive what he says. We'll appreciate it. Because although Scripture is inspired by God, we know he chose to communicate through human authors who have experience in a story of their own. You see, this letter didn't just fall out of the sky. It has Paul's name on it. He wrote it to communicate truths to this church. And here's why this is so important, because Paul has an incredible transformation story. He isn't just sitting behind a desk writing letters. When he pens this letter, he's sitting in prison. He's sitting in prison for his faith. And so if there's someone who can encourage you for what you're going through, it's Paul. If someone can relate to how hard life can be, oh, well, it's going to be Paul. If it's someone who has a story to tell, in fact, if, if there's someone who has the right to tell you their story, well, it's, it's Paul. You see, because Paul was going places. Paul wasn't a Jesus follower when Jesus was going around doing his ministry when he was alive. We're not sure if Paul ever met Jesus. He, he was definitely familiar with his teachings, but he was never actually like a disciple of Jesus. In fact, the first time we're introduced to Paul, it's after Jesus died on the cross, it's after the resurrection, and the Jesus followers were going around carrying out the mission given to them by Jesus. They were, they were telling people about him. They were reaching people, starting these little gatherings of people that would come together and talk about Jesus and live life together. There was this big movement happening in the city, and see, things seemed to be going pretty well for the church. Well, the same people who wanted Jesus dead didn't want to see this thing succeed. And so for the first person we know to die for the faith was this man named Stephen. And when they were killing Stephen, I mean, the Bible tells us about this kind of stuff. When they were killing Stephen, they were standing over watching him. Like Paul was right there, and stoning typically happened pretty quick. But the way they described Stephen, they took their time with it. They stoned him slowly. And look at what it says, Acts 8.1. It says, and Saul, that's also Paul, he has two names we, we, we know of. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So it was common back then, like I said, for people to have two names. And what we see is Paul, when this man was killed for his faith, when this man was killed for being a Jesus follower, Paul wasn't some innocent bystander watching it. He approved of it. Like he held the coats, he held their jackets so they could kill this man for following Jesus. He was a part of this great persecution that broke out against the church. It says, godly men, Acts 2, 3, excuse me, Acts Chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. It says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
Paul was right there when someone got murdered and approved of it. And it inspired him to go on a great persecution for the church. He tried to destroy it. He dragged men and women literally out of their homes and threw them in prison. If you've ever had a problem with Christianity, if you've ever had a problem with the local church, so did Paul. But Paul didn't boycott by not attending. He boycotted by throwing them in jail, by approving of people being killed for their faith. I mean, Paul was completely against this thing Jesus started. Acts 9, verse 2, it says this, 1 and 2. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for him for letters to go into the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So not only was he persecuting people, he became the arresting officer, like the marshal in charge of tracking down these criminals, they thought, the people of the way, which is what Christianity was first called. I think it's pretty nifty, right? The way. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, I don't know why they gave up on that. I like that. But so he was going after these people, and he did this for a couple of years. I mean, giving out murderous threats to people who followed Jesus. He was ready to stomp out this new movement who was opposing God, following this rabbi, Jesus. You see, he thought that everything Christianity stood for was a threat to him and his religion. You see, Paul was a Pharisee. He, what the Pharisees were devout Jewish people. He was a scholar. He was trained by an elite teacher of his day. So understand, Paul is extremely educated. Understand, Paul is going places. He got to train under some of the top scholars. We see he's being charged with big things. Paul was going places. He had a great career. Everyone thought that Paul was on track to be the man. Clear-cut vision. I'm a Pharisee. I'm going to rise up to the top of these ranks. I'm stopping out this, this heresy, he thought, of Christianity. And you see, you thought your background was rough. You thought what you've done and the things you've said and the reasons why you haven't gone to church, maybe the sins you've committed were too much for God. Well, be introduced to Paul. Can't get worse than throwing people in jail and killing them for the faith, can you? This is Paul. And see, you have to understand this about him. You've got to understand how rough this background would have been. Because when he tells you that you can have a new life in Christ, he means it. When he's telling you that you can be forgiven and that God's grace is so amazing, when he's telling you about the mercy you can experience, he's not telling you from some guy who grew up in a great home. He's telling you from a guy who's living with the fact he's murdered somebody. That he's threw people in jail because of Jesus. He's telling you because of what he's experienced and what you can embrace we cannot detach what Paul says from who he was. You see, Paul was a man who thought he had everything. But he found out it was all worthless. Worthless compared to knowing Christ. Look at what he says in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. He says this. 
He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's going to start listing his credentials. doesn't mean much to us. It means a lot to him. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. All the Jewish people would have said, wow. We don't get it. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, meaning, look, I read my Bible. I did scripture verses. I mean, I was the man. I went to church all the time. He's not done. As for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, check this out. If you read like 600 some commands in the Old Testament, like not just, he said, faultless. Wow. Like he, he thought he was good. I mean, basically he's saying, I am the man and I have posters in my room of me because I am the man when it comes to being a Pharisee. Everyone thinks I'm awesome. I think I'm awesome. I got this, but he's not done. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Hold on, Paul, you like have like, a PH, like three PhDs. Paul, I mean, you have the house, you have the money, you're going places, you're getting the career, and it's, and it's all of that is garbage. He says, yeah, garbage. All of that other stuff is garbage that I may gain Christ. All that stuff people think is worth something, all that stuff people esteem, everything that you, your career, your education, all that stuff that everyone lo looks to, Paul says, it goes in the loss column. It goes on that side. It's, it's negative now. None of that can compare to what I have in Christ Jesus. The knowledge of Christ makes every other human thing I've done, all my human accomplishments, garbage compared to knowing Christ. You see, Paul went from a persecutor of the church to a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Think about this for a second. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to go to a place where you thought everything you've done, everything you've earned, all of that education, all of that work, wouldn't it be cool to a place where you weren't worried about that as much and Jesus was so much more important? Right, not just how we come into Sunday school or church and act like everything's perfect, but I mean for real. Like in real life, all that other stuff that keeps us so busy and stressed out, what if it wasn't that important to you anymore? Wouldn't it be nice not to care what everybody thought? and actually be confident in who you are in Jesus Christ, and you realize that you're so loved by God, he cares and accepts you exactly how you are? Wouldn't it be nice to not kill yourself this year over a diet to try to lose a couple of pounds because you were confident that God gave you that DNA and that metabolism and you're just going to own it? Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, wouldn't it be nice not to worry about the cars and the money? Wouldn't it be nice not to be so stressed out with life and get to a place that you can actually enjoy it because you have found something else that, that makes you so secure, something that makes you so confident, something that makes you feel so amazing that all that other stuff is just considered trash? I think we all get exhausted trying to keep up in this world. 
I mean, the pressure we put on our kids, the pressure we put on our finances, the pressures in life, wouldn't it just be nice if we could sit back and enjoy life because something else is more valuable? You say, yeah. Then lean in and listen to Paul. Lean in when he communicates to us and talks to us. Lean in when he says these things that are going to be like, hey, I can't do that. There's no way. He's telling you how he got there. He's telling you from his experience. This guy had a complete transformation in Christ. But one thing that you may not know that's really important to understand is, did you know this didn't happen overnight? And that's the part I think we forget about. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of people in our country want immediate gratification. You ever met someone like that? It's not you, right? It's your spouse, but definitely not you. Yeah, like we live for this immediate gratification. We think, well, Paul just met Christ and then was changed. But no. You see, Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road while seeking to throw Christians in jail. In Acts 9, you should read it uh, on your own. Go home and read it. Give you a, a, a pretty good understanding of what happened to him. But, but Christ humbled him and broke him. He caused him to go blind in some sort of vision. Paul realized that he made a big mistake, that he'd been following the wrong way. He was blind for three days until uh, Ananias found him, and Paul realized who Jesus was. He got baptized. But then Paul goes dark. We see a rough timeline in the book of Galatians, in the book of Acts, but after he gets baptized, it gets very murky. We know he preached a bit. We know he went back home, and it doesn't work out so well for him. He ends up fleeing back home for about nine to ten years. And we have no idea what happens to Paul during that time. From about the time Paul meets the Lord till he goes on that first missionary journey you'll read about in the book of Acts, it's about 14 years in between. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, when, you, when he starts talking about all the beatings and all the things that he went through, Scholars believe that probably happened when he went back home and tried to tell the people at home about Jesus. Those beatings mean instead of getting kicked out of the synagogue, you got you to gotta meet. Instead of getting kicked out of like his church, the Jewish church, you got to have the punishment. So instead of being banished, he took the punishment so he could go back and tell them again and then get beat again. A lot of people think all of that happened when he went back home. So Paul has everything going right in his life. He meets the Lord, and then everything goes wrong. He tries to tell people about Jesus, then people want to kill him. He's, people are afraid to meet with him because of a past. When he first tries to connect with the apostles, they're like, no. And disciples are like, no, no, we've heard about you. We don't want you around us. You see, it wasn't until about 14 years later that Paul lives into this apostolic role, the role of an apostle, which means sent one. It took about 14 years of failure before we see him step onto this leadership role. And you see, for us, when we go through failures, you think that makes us something other than something important, but God used those failures for something great for Paul. You see, what Paul had to learn is that a Christian, what you may have to learn is that God uses broken things. This Christian life isn't about how awesome you are. It's not all about your experience. It's not about the elite. Paul had to be humbled before Christ could use him. 
Charles Stanley loves this, uh, teaches this, and I love this quote. He says, brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. What Paul had to find out, what you may have to find out, is Paul wants to use the weak in you. He'll humble you. So you find your strength in him. And it's in our humbleness, it's in our meekness. We shouldn't be embarrassed about those things. We should embrace those because that's when God can shine through. Because if you didn't know, I'm glad you're here this morning. Every single one of us has a story. And our story is very unique. And we can see time after time in the scriptures that God uses people who've been broken, who realize his strength. You see, a common misunderstanding in our faith is that God will never give you more than you can handle. Who's heard that before? God won't give you more than you can handle. That is a lie. It's not biblical, nor is it a theological truth. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more than he can handle. You see, it's when we can't handle it that we learn to pray. It's when we can't handle it, we learn to trust. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle, so you will be broken into trusting him. You see, God's priority for your life is not for you to have the big house, have the big retirement, have all the money, have all the toys. God's priority for your life is a deep relationship with him. And he will use all sorts of circumstances to get your attention. And it's in our brokenness, and you already know this to be true. In your brokenness, you pray like you've never prayed before. In your brokenness, you're like, God, I will go to church. I will go to Sunday school. God, you're never going to believe this. I'm going to go to Wednesday nights. That's how much I need you. It's only in our brokenness. And you see, many times, we want to protect people from that. We want to protect our kids. We want to stop them. But God has a way of humbling and breaking people to trust him. God uses these things to get our attention. So sometimes, especially as parents, we've got to be careful. We've got to let them work it out with the Lord. We've got to let him intervene and deal with it. You want them to learn that young, not when they're out there on their own. And so if you've ever experienced brokenness, pain, hurt, betrayal, If you've ever wondered how God can use any of that for his glory, trust me or trust Paul when I tell you he absolutely can and will. You say, well, how, Brian? How? Lean in and listen to Paul. Lean in and listen to what he's about to teach us over the next couple, well, about 14 weeks, 13 weeks. Lean in and listen to him. In a letter to Corinthians, Paul talks about this problem he has. Scholars don't know what it is, although there's plenty of dissertations written about it, about this problem that he had. And look at what Paul says. He's pleaded to the Lord to take this problem away. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, it says, But he said to me, well, first, I didn't read it all, but he's he's telling you about how he pleaded to the Lord to take this issue away. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God never tells you to figure it out and to have all the answers. Never. Although he does, he, we try, he tells us to trust him and rely on him. Because he wants a deep, personal relationship with each one of us. 
And then Paul says this, after God revealed that to him about he will strengthen his weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To which all of us said, there's no way he actually like, believed that when he wrote that. I mean, he delights in this hard stuff. You see, it's just as true for Paul as it is for you. If we can figure out how to look past our circumstances, we can understand to look past what we're currently go through and understand that God's at work and that God is moving, we can see this opportunity to trust and rely on him like we've never done before. In fact, did you know if you embraced your past and your struggles and what you've been through, instead of being embarrassed by it, Instead of pretending it didn't happen, if you kind of embrace that that's who made you who you are, you can see that God won't waste any of those experiences for his glory. You see, the beauty of Paul's ministry comes from his struggles. It comes from his transparency. And from that, he becomes one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. By losing all of his leadership credentials, by putting aside all the things that should have made him this elite person, by laying all of that aside, God elevated him to a place where 2,000 years later, people are still earning their PhDs trying to understand what he says. 2,000 years later, talk about a leader. Talk about an educated man who changed the world. But he laid it all aside for the sake of Christ, and then Christ brought him up. And it all came from brokenness, brokenness and reliance upon Jesus. So when we encounter this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, we need to lean in when we see his name, argue with him, struggle with what he writes, but please do not discount what he says. There's so much wisdom. There's so much we can learn. And I know that we are educated society. I know we have our psychology and our modern understanding of the world. But I want to plead with you for one second and understand that he wrote this 2,000 years ago, roughly. And, we're, and it's guided billions of people. Who do you know with those type of credentials? Might have a couple of thousand Amazon reviews, but how about billions of people? Lean in and listen to him. So yes, we believe this and we follow this because it's scripture and it's in the Bible, of course. But also because of the man behind the letter. There isn't a resume who looks like this. He's so different and unique that should cause you and I to go, all right, Paul, I may not like it, I'm going to engage with it. I'm going to work through this. So when we encounter Ephesians first, it assumes that you know who Paul is, because this church would have. That's Paul in a nutshell. But it also assumes something else. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, says, by the will of God. This is important because Paul says, everything I am and everything I've become is because of or by the will of God. You see, Paul believes something very important, and I hope you believe this too. 
Paul believes that God is working and active in this world. He believes that he was just playing a purpose. He was playing his part in this grander story, this grander drama, this redemption story that's unfolding, that he just played a little part in it. Because Paul believed, and I hope you believe, that God is alive and active and moving in this world still today. And so Paul then readied himself to respond to the movement of God. He saw hardships as opportunities. He saw good things as bringing glory to God. And he was sensitive and ready to respond to God at a moment's notice. You see, God has a plan. God has a purpose for us all. But God's plan, if you didn't know, is to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. That is the big plan. Jesus Christ came for you and I. And God wants to redeem all people through that. That is his plan. He's on a worldwide mission to save the world through Jesus Christ. And all of us have a part to play. You say, well, no, Brian, I, mean, I got other things to do. No, no, hold on. That is God's big plan for all of us. And our purpose is to bring him glory. So God has a plan for you to play a part in this story. But are you preparing for it? Are you getting ready to play your part? It's kind of like a vacation. You see, growing up, I didn't take many vacations. I only could think of three. Went to Florida twice and once to Myrtle Beach in my teens. But now my wife, she took like 12 vacations a year, okay? So... She has taught me how to take a vacation. We go every single year. And because I know we're taking a vacation, that means we will prepare for it. We pick out a place. We save some money. We get ready. We have to figure out, you know, what to pack. You get the idea. When we know we're doing something, we prepare for it. If we believe that God is alive and active and has a plan for you and I, if we really believe that, then we would prepare to respond to him. We would be getting ready for him to call. We would be getting ready for him to point us and direct us into this new thing. And I want you to see that through Paul and what we hear about his story, that God can use all of us. God can use any of us. It doesn't matter what you've been through or what your story is. God wants to use you. You see, Paul doesn't write just to tell us how to be an apostle or pastor. He tells us how to be normal Christians, everyday people who's working for a living, and that's what he did. So lean in when it comes to the Apostle Paul. So as we embrace this, and we taking our cues from Paul, and we're going to learn from him over the next couple of weeks, I really hope you can join us. It's going to be great. Just have a couple of things I want you to embrace this morning. Really simple, we've already talked about them. First, this morning, at the beginning of the year, listen, embrace your story. You have a story that nobody else does. And what we can learn from Paul is that nothing will be wasted. God doesn't just use the elite. God uses the broken, and it's through your brokenness his strength will prevail. And if you embrace your journey, if you embrace your unique experiences, God can use them in amazing ways for his glory. You say, Brian, well, how? Lean in and listen to Paul. He'll explain to us. And then second, as we approach this new year, will you open your, heart, or your hearts and your eyes to the movement of God around you? You see, I learned two questions years ago that radically changed my faith, that helped me become a deeper and, and better follower of Jesus Christ. 
They guide my prayers, Bible studies, Sunday morning sermons I listen to. Yes, I listen to other sermons throughout the weeks. Anytime I approach scriptures, I assume that God's going to talk to me. I assume before I go into anything Bible, I assume he's going to speak. Do you come on Sunday mornings assuming he's going to talk? Or do you come ready to argue? Do you come ready to fight? Or do you just assume that God's going to talk? What happens if you believe he's alive and active and moving, and you believe he uses his word and other people through that? Or you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that or weren't curious about it. What if you showed up or just asked this question, well, what is God saying to me? What if you assumed that every time the Bible was read or spoken or heard, that God was going to speak to you through it? Every time. And I figure that if God's not speaking to me, whose fault is it? Mine. We can't blame other people for our spiritual life. That's on us. And so what if you approached everything and said, what's God saying to me? He has something for me. I know he does. What is God saying? I mean, the second thing is the hard part. What am I going to do about it? Because this now assumes that if God is alive and active and God is speaking and asking me to do something, I'm probably going to have to what? Change. Uh-oh. We don't like that one, do we? I know, God, leave me alone. I'm good. He said, but you're not. And so what if you approached every sermon, every Bible study, every Sunday school with what is God saying to me? I know he's going to speak. And then what am I going to do about that he has spoken? What's my next step? Meaning how am I going to hold myself accountable? See, we don't know how it all works. We believe God has a plan and a purpose. And I believe very strongly that if you were to open yourself up to those questions or something like it, every time you approach the scriptures, every time you approach the radio, every time, any of that stuff, God will speak to you because he wants to. You're his child and he loves you. And I will talk and spend time with my kids if they open themselves up to it. But if they're pouting, running around like this, well, they get a different version of me, don't they? And so for you, as we approach this, there are so many reasons to take Paul serious. Because of his background, because of his education, well, how God used him. But no matter what you've experienced, you can find common ground with Paul, I promise. And you can lean in and learn from him. So come at this scripture, come at this letter, read it at your own, read it at home. Come into it with confidence. Take his work serious. Because he believed, as I hope you believe, or maybe you'll find out that God is alive, God is active, and God is moving. He's on a worldwide mission to save the world through Jesus Christ and has invited you to either be saved through him or to be a part of helping people know about Jesus. And so this morning, as we come to the Lord's table and we remember what Jesus has done, we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, can you come this morning with an expectation? Can you come this morning with, hey, maybe I need to stop being so defensive. Maybe I need to stop coming up with my way. Maybe I just need to listen to God instead of tell God something. What if you just came receptive? Because when we come to this table, we're coming to remember Jesus is Lord. We're remembering the great love that God has for us through Jesus. And how he has forgiven our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we come to this table remembering Jesus, but we're also in, we're, we're saying we're a part of this new covenant. We're saying we are a part of the people of God with the other people who take this together. That collectively together, we are a part of this new thing, this new body of believers in Jesus. 
but also we're saying that we're ready to proclaim the Lord's death. We're ready to be a part of this plan. So when you come to the table this morning, I ask you to settle what you need to settle with the Lord. Ask for forgiveness where you need to ask for forgiveness. Get your heart right. Scriptures tell us to come, not with a bunch on us, not with this sin, not with this stuff going on, but that our heart should be right with the Lord. And luckily for us, he is faithful to forgive us if we just ask. So this morning as we come, come prepared. Prepared for him to use you in a mighty way for 2020. So a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pause, give us a couple of seconds to let you just talk with them, let you do what you need to do. And then we're going to open it up for all believers in Jesus Christ and come and take communion with us. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, hear our prayers. Hear our confessions as we come this morning to take, Lord, just help us see where we need to repent, see where we need to turn. And we just thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that you'll use each and every one of us for your glory. We thank you so much that we can be called a child of God. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for these letters. We thank you for the Scripture. What an amazing thing we have that you've given us to learn more about you. Father, help us start this new year off right as we come to the table. Help us remember that we're doing this because of Jesus and it's all about Jesus. Help us renew the covenant and and remind ourselves that we are a part of the people of God, that we are accountable to each other, that we come together united as a body of yours for your glory. Father, help us. Help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.